What's up, this Shaq Bear, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. having a great day today this is alex from the fresh fantasy podcast and this is the 30th episode of season two today we're going to be talking about fantasy football injuries talking about what to do with michael thomas's ankle cam makers achilles saquon on the pup list antonio gibson's turf toe and how should we, we how we should move forward with each of these players i am by no means a medical expert so i called in someone extremely special to help me break this all down She's a senior writer and injury analyst at ESPN, a licensed physical therapist and board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist. She's a regular on ESPN's NFL and fantasy football coverage, a graduate of the seventh most prestigious university in the world, according to Business Insider, Princeton University, with over 286,000 followers on Twitter. She is the talented and wonderful Stefania Bell. What's going on, Stefania? Wow, that's quite a setup. I hope I don't disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) It's going well. I'm excited. Football is here. It's really happening. It's crazy. And I'm I'm glad that like this year it's happening. Cause like at this time last year, we were like, I think it's going to happen, but like you never Uh know. And again, with all the craziness that happened, I'm just happy that like we're going to have a season and I know there's turmoil still going on with everything, but it, it seems like we are going to get a full season for sure. And there's no better music to our ears than that. Besides the fact that you will be, non-stop on the go for probably the next month before the season starts but before we get into it I just wanted to ask you real quick so like ESPN is obviously arguably the most prestigious sports media kind of company in the entire world how did you come to work at ESPN before and like what's your favorite part of the job every day for all of us people that would want to work there well favorite part of my job for me that's the easy part to answer um is just that my job is different every single day. And I'm somebody who uh, needs constant like change and excitement to stay motivated. And the best thing about the job is that it changes. I mean, news is news. Uh, sometimes you might think you're going to have a slow day and then there's massive breaking news and all of a sudden your day changes. And I kind of love that about it. I mean, it's, it's the thing that will exhaust you on a really busy day, but it's the thing that's exciting. Um, and I, so I think overall, that's my favorite thing. And then I get to, you know, watch and cover sports for a living. So sometimes when I feel like I've got a lot of work to do, I remind myself that that's what I'm calling work. And it's easy to get past that. Um, as far as how I ended up at ESPN, you know, I've told this story a number of times and I, I don't, you know, it, it, a lot of the details are quite boring, but I worked as a physical therapist in clinical practice for nearly 20 years. And oh, wow. so my background was working with athletes primarily, you know, broader orthopedics, but, but, but sports in particular sports with elite athletes of all ages, even youth athletes, which is why I care so much about what happens um, to our young athletes and overuse injuries and things like that. But I found myself just explaining injuries all the time. I was teaching as well. So I got used to having to encapsulate injuries and what they meant. And I also played fantasy football. And people were always asking me for advice related to injured players because at that time there really was nothing out there. I mean, next to nothing. We certainly didn't have as many people reporting on injuries. Um, Injury reports were pretty marginal, even compared to what they are now. Not that they've changed a ton, but they were even more limited. 
And so people were looking for an edge and I just kind of put two and two together that somebody like me could give um, players an edge if you knew how to understand injuries or what they meant or timeframes, et cetera, uh, or how to even just look at injuries and how they could impact a player for fantasy purposes. And so I started doing some writing. My writing led to radio. I was working for Rotowire and then uh, ESPN. Um was building their fantasy department. Matthew Barry went there. He and I had a couple conversations and they invited me out for an audition and I haven't left. So here we are 14 years later. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. It's been a long time. That's crazy. Do you, how long do you think you see yourself doing this for like, uh, well, I don't, I, that's not what I want to put awesome. That's true. You know, it's a tough business. Like there's turnover all the time. Yeah. So, um, I just don't, I don't, look at it that way sure. i don't look at it as having you know a, a time table in mind i think as long as i find it interesting and fun and exciting and i'm willing to stay on top of it i mean that that's the other thing there's a lot to stay on top of it's more now than just knowing the injuries like you have to understand the context you have to understand the rules of the nfl you have to understand their policies in terms of like now we have all the covid policies to work around you have to um, appreciate how injuries are navigated in terms of pup lists and, and uh, injury reporting. So it, I think it's broader for somebody who wants to do it. It's not just like, I know the injury and I can talk about it. You can certainly do that, but uh, to really be able to put it in the context for reporting on a particular sport, I think that's, that's a part that people might not realize that requires a lot of additional work. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that That's one of the things that you said is crazy to think about is that it's more than just the injuries and what happens. It's all the policies and the teams and there's so <laughs> many different things that go into it. And I think that was probably makes your job so interesting, but at the same time, probably so difficult. And speaking mm -hmm. of it, when I talk about so difficult, how about Michael Thomas's ankle? I think that is the best <laughs> way to start off. Probably the most recent injury news, unfortunately. Um, and again, like he had a high date with a high ankle sprain last year. He has supposedly was about to have like a surgery in June and sorry, in January on his ankle. And then he just had another ankle surgery in June. So from what you've heard, I really have no idea on like what the timeline is like from what people are saying, he's supposed to miss the first four games or more. But from what you've been able to gather, what do you think this injury is and how do you expect this to like impact his performance when he does eventually come back to play this year? Hopefully. Well, I think the first thing, and this kind of goes for all injury reporting, is you have to look at the details. And um, we just had our ESPN, we just we did a magazine this year, ESPN Fantasy Football Magazine, which I really like. You know, I'm old school that way. Um, the magazine is just out this week, so here I am shamelessly plugging it. But obviously, when you put together a magazine, you have to put your content in quite a bit earlier in yeah. order for it to get to press. And Michael Thomas was one of the players I had on my concern list. And the reason was we heard in January when my colleague Adam Schefter reported that he was expected to undergo um, surgery on his ankle to repair the deltoid ligament. I mean, Adam had it that specifically, but we never heard anything after that. And so it's one thing for somebody to say, this is what a player is expected to do. It's another thing to know that the player actually did that. And so in my mind, that question never got answered. And then when OTAs happened in June, there was no answer from the Saints about that. Michael Thomas wasn't available to the media. He wasn't practicing. So to me, there were still a lot of question marks and that particular detail never got answered. Lo and behold, we find out he had surgery in June 
and it sounded like, you know, now it's come out that it was delayed and we don't have to get into all the reasons or the finger pointing about why that happened. But ultimately he didn't have a surgery that he could have had in January until June. So you think about all that additional recovery time that could have happened and didn't happen. And the deltoid ligament is a very strong ligament on the, it reinforces the inside of the ankle joint. And it, if you have a severe high ankle sprain, it will be, um, if you have it, if it's severe enough that it disrupts the high ankle ligaments and then beyond, it can involve this deltoid ligament. And that becomes a problem because obviously the more severe the injury, the less stable the joint is after that. And if you have instability as a result of damage to the deltoid, you're not going to have a normal ankle. You're not going to be able to be Michael Thomas. And ultimately, my guess is that he figured out that he was not going to be what he yeah. was if he didn't end up getting it fixed. So when you look at the long-term health of the player, this is great that he got it done because yeah. this is going to change him going forward, having okay. had that fixed. Yeah. In the short term, the problem is that we're on a timetable, if you're talking about fantasy football, where you're looking at who's going to be available to me week one, and if they're not available week one, when are they available? And if they're coming back from something, what can you expect when they get back to the field? So yes, I expect him to miss time at the beginning. I think anyone who tells you how much time they know he's going to miss is wrong because nobody knows at this point. It's easy to look at the calendar and say, oh, well, they have a bye in week five, so it's automatically going to be this amount of time. But when you have players valuable as Michael Thomas, and also the way people recover, the way they work to come back, is different from one person to the next. Um, on the one hand, this is an important repair, and no one on the Saints is going to rush him back to get a couple extra weeks out of him. Yeah. Uh, this is Again, this is long-term health. However, if he's ready to return and checks all the boxes, I could see him coming back and not automatically being on the pup list for the first six weeks. Okay. So at this point, I think it's a guess. Um, I would just say for planning purposes, you anticipate at least the first two to three games out. Uh, but then we don't know. We have to wait and see how he does. So if you're drafting, you, you take into consideration that there might be a range of outcomes in terms of when you get him back. But I do think that when he comes back, he's going to be ready to go because okay. they're not going to clear him to return until he's ready to go. And had he not gotten this surgery, I wouldn't have touched him in fantasy because really? I would have okay. thought this is going to be a problematic ankle. We probably would have seen him go in and out of games, maybe not be able to continue the season, maybe have to shut it down during the season to ultimately get surgery. So big picture. It's a good thing that he got it done. Um, for the immediate sense, it, it's a bummer for, for the saints to not have him to start. It's a bummer for us to not have him in fantasy to start the season. Yeah, no, absolutely. So from what I'm, what I'm getting here, just for, for myself and trying to digest all that, like with Michael Thomas, when he is ready to come back, whenever that time is from what you're saying that when the team will let him play and he checks all the boxes, he should be pretty close to like what he can do physically and he shouldn't be hampered because this is a good thing that he had this done. Correct. Okay. And, and if you think some people, you know, we were having this conversation on our podcast earlier and, and uh, the guys were talking about, you know, he would. Well, you know, he wasn't 100% like, what's he going to be? Because he was in and out of games. But you have to remember, he was in and out of games because he was injured in the way that he was. So I think uh, you can't say that's going to be how he will be when he comes back this year. And that's why 
you have this wide range of outcomes of where he might return. Because if for any reason there's concern about him being healthy enough to go, they're not going to put him out there. Okay. That's really good to know. Another another one that unfortunately, this has just been the the worst week so so far, unfortunately, for injuries is, is Cam Akers. Um, he's expected to miss the whole season with the Achilles injury. And for the people on Twitter that where everyone thinks they're a doctor and they think they know what they're talking about, things have been all over the place. And I know it's not necessarily for fantasy this season because he's not going to be a factor. And I mean, the whole Daryl Henderson conversation, that's a thing for another day. But with Cam Akers, from Achilles injuries and your knowledge of them in general, what are the chances that he returns to full health? I mean, next year when he does eventually come back and can he still be the same Cam Akers that people were expecting to break out and do a lot of great things this year? This is the big unknown because unfortunately we don't have a good sample size for running backs post Achilles injury. We just don't, there aren't that many. Uh, You don't like to see an Achilles tear in a running back because the number one concern is whether you will regain the same power and explosiveness you had before the injury. Usually you see this in guys who are a little bit older. So there's a couple of surprises here. He's a relatively young guy. Uh, you know, this, here he was just new into his career and hadn't even really taken the full workload. It's not like he had a yep. full workload through an entire season even. Um, so he probably had some things that predisposed him to injury. Who knows? I, I think... If we want to watch a good barometer, it's going to be Marlon Mack of the Colts. Because Marlon Mack, um, although he was a little bit further along in his career, so a little more mileage on him. Uh, and also, the difference is Marlon Mack is not coming back to the number one role. They've got Jonathan Taylor. Um, it allows Marlon Mack to come back in a, in a lesser role. But they still expect to have him available, and they expect to use him regularly. A lot of the running backs who've had Achilles repairs have either had it late enough in their career, like Arian Foster, that they ended up really being out of the league relatively soon afterward. Uh, or Deontay Foreman, who people point to as kind of the the one who made it, and his, his track record wasn't that great. But Deontay Foreman came back after his Achilles and then was out again. I think a lot of people assume it was because of his Achilles. It was not because he tore his triceps. Mm. So it's hard to look at him as a measuring stick. And that's what I mean by uh, the sample size being so small when it comes to running back specific players. Now I will say techniques have changed in terms of operative techniques. There are several different ways for Achilles repairs to be performed. And depending on who does the surgery, different approaches Uh, in rehab, we've gotten a little bit more aggressive in terms of rehabbing the injuries. However, there's a big danger in doing too much too soon. So again, balanced rehab, really important for these guys. And then there's the, where he does his rehab. Now, if he stays with the Rams and works with them, they have one of the best medical staffs in the country. And so he, I really think he will be in the best setting to have this and potentially come back, but there really hasn't been anyone like him with all those factors. So Again, this is where I'm reluctant to just take the group think of he's done. Um, It's too soon to say that. Uh, Is it a worry? Sure. Is it a problematic injury? Definitely. Is there, uh, you know, is there a risk that he's not? Yeah. But I also think there's a chance that he is and we have to allow him that. Uh, It's too soon to know. And 
I think that uh, people who are writing him off already may be mistaken. Okay. I like that. No, especially with like, when you talk about sample size, okay. They're like, Oh, since 2011, these are the stats. Well, 2011 was almost 10 years. I mean, it's 10 years ago now and medical stuff and how they deal with injuries and treat them and stuff like that's a lot different. And he's almost as young as it gets for an NFL player getting an Achilles injury and who knows about that and see how that will affect. But I think that's really interesting to hear that. The other other thing is that, um, and I, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you just made me think of something is, Maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree because a lot of teams are not interested in picking up guys who are coming off an Achilles injury. So when guys, quote, don't make it back into the league, is it because they're not being given an opportunity because people don't really want to invest in that? That's a possibility, too. And again, when you're only dealing with a handful of players, you really can't spot trends. And so um, I'm going to be a little bit on the, the outside of what everybody else is saying. but I. I have a lot more optimism for Cam Akers at this point until something proves that I shouldn't. Okay. I like that a lot. He was one of my favorite players going into the this year, so that's absolute music to my ears. But like you said, I mean, there's a little bit of optimism there. Is there the same optimism for someone like Saquon Barkley this year coming off an ACL? I mean, I think the biggest thing that is so can, is so tough is because, again, he's still going as a borderline top five pick in fantasy football right now and taking a guy coming off a torn ACL and when he's already on the pup list and when people see a little red letters next to his name when they're about to draft them, people get a little bit scared. So from your expert opinion and everything that's gone on with Saquon Barkley and the history of coming off ACLs, and I've heard a couple different opinions – and I mean, what would you say from everything with his hyperathleticism and how early he did tear it last year, but the fact that he's on the pup now and everything else, what, what is your outlook of Saquon Barkley and are you avoiding him at all in drafts right now? So, um, this is where, you know, it's a good chance to remind people that not all ACLs are created equal, right? So he had ACL, MCL and a medial meniscus repair. So it's a different surgery than just an isolated ACL. Um, when you have to, you know, you have to wait, you delay the surgery because you're allowing the MCL to heal. That's normal. So he was like six weeks later before he had surgery. He had a meniscus repair, which means that the rehab coming out of the repair is a little bit slower, a little more controlled because you're protecting a healing meniscus in addition to dealing with the ACL. All those things kind of put you on a different timetable to begin with. The thing about ACL recovery is that it's long, right? You're talking multiple months. And because when he injured it and had surgery, he had a long time until training camp. So I think people just assumed everything would be fine. And there's a lot of catch-up room in there. You know, if you're behind, you can catch up. Um, But we're not there following him every day. So we don't exactly know where he stood. So you have to start looking at what the benchmarks are. Well, OTAs, he was not doing anything at all with the team, just focused on rehab. A little surprising. Um, and that definitely, you know, um, kind of spelled caution. And then the team basically came out and said some things that I thought were interesting, where they said that they would not be rushing him. Um, you know, they picked up the fifth year option. So it's clearly a player that they're interested in having stick around. And if you look at that, that means that they're not going to take him out and run him into the ground right now right because they have an interest in having him for next year so they're not going to bring him back and these are their words until he's ready his body from this injury so that being said what that tells me is for a guy who is not expected to practice right now we know he's not because he's on the pup list as you said the giants have already made the suggestion 
that he is not going to be out there week one if he's not ready. Saquon has hinted at it as much by saying, we'll see, we'll see, I don't know. It's a lot of vagueness with good reason. Now, might he surprise us and pop back into practice weeks three and four, and all of a sudden he looks great? Maybe, but it's hard to imagine going from nothing to that to 100% volume in week one. Okay, so if you follow that logic of them bringing him along gradually, even if he was going to set foot on the field week one, which I don't think is going to happen at this point, we'll see. The volume of work is not likely to be what you would expect for Saquon Barkley in his normal role. And to me, if the Giants do that, they're doing the right thing for him for his long-term health. This is a guy that is a very physical back. He's a tackle breaker. You know, you have to have incredible power and just because he looks good on video running in sand or against cones, that's not the same as running on the field, dragging players, bursting through tackles. Those are totally different demands. Um, so that is why I am, you know, a lot of times I don't get to explain why I'm down on someone. You know, yeah. people think it's either like you like the player or you don't. Yeah. And I actually really like where I think Saquon could be in the second half of the season okay if everything goes right but i don't think he starts there yeah so for fantasy purposes not good he becomes less interesting <laughs> to me because where i would have to draft him is not is not worth it to me given the risk of how he starts the season i think one of the interesting points that you brought up at the beginning talking about him too is the same a similar thing with michael thomas where like he has to be fully ready to go for them doing that and the fact that you said that like they picked up his fifth-year option, so there he's the guy that they probably want long-term, especially as talented as he is in the draft capital. So why are we throwing him out for weeks one, two, and three when we could have him back for the whole season a little bit healthier and a little better shape for long-term, especially if they want him to be a cornerstone, cornerstone, so to speak, of this franchise? So I think that's really interesting, and I guess that, that first-round draft capital in, in fantasy leagues right now is definitely looking a little sketchy. So one of the other things that you said, though, is that AC, like an ACL injury is not an ACL injury is not an ACL injury in terms of every single one is different in terms of how the surgery is done. And like you mentioned before with Michael Thomas, everyone attacks their rehab differently. But today there was news that came out that Odell Beckham is not starting the list on sorry, not starting on the pup list this year, but he also tore his ACL. So is his injury, his ACL injury different to Saquon? And because he plays a wide receiver in a little different position, a little bit different demands, and where he's going in drafts is also a lot different right now. Would you have be more optimistic about drafting someone like Odell Beckham at his draft capital and potentially if there was a different injury? Yeah, I mean, minus the fact that we don't, you know, you've yeah. got a, you don't know. A, a, an offense that is going to hit the ground mm-hmm. more often than not. A lot of potential pass catchers on that offense. So, you know, his value is somewhat um, lost in term, in terms of that group that they have in Cleveland but it's just from the ACL perspective yeah I mean an isolated ACL tear is a different recovery and um he has looked good for a while now I mean Odell Beckham Jr. has been doing high level work for a while um I think the fact that he passed his physical like you said and he is he said he feels great and here he is back ready to go this is a guy who has had a lot of soft tissue injuries in the past though so he doesn't come without red flags you know there's the history of his hamstring injuries he had the core injury that was a problem for him and really kind of hampered his prior season with the browns uh but 
a lot of times when you're doing a rehab like this, it's so intensive, you get a chance to really work on a lot of other things. So hopefully this will kind of help um, rejuvenate his career, so to speak. Remember he had that broken ankle, you know, back a couple of years ago and he was with the Giants as well. Um, but I think uh, I, I feel pretty good about where safe, uh, we're safe on <laughs> slip there, uh, where Odell is given that he's had a pretty smooth recovery, no real setbacks along the way, and is starting where he's starting. Okay, that's, I think that's really good to hear. And I think the other thing, again, like you said, obviously this isn't a team that's going to be super, super pass-heavy, but I think it's worth noting that over the last five or six weeks of last season, they were the fifth most pass-happy team in the NFL without him. And that also did include the week where they didn't have any wide receivers in that game against the Jets. But again, they're probably going to pound the pound the ground when you have guys like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb back there. Why wouldn't you when you have a top two offensive line and everything like that? But there's not many players that are going around the late 20 wide receivers that have as much talent and as much upside as he does theoretically. Um, so he's someone I'm willing to take shots on. I think there's other guys in that range. I think I would rather take like a Brandon Ayuk or even a Deontay Johnson who's going a little bit before. But I think Odell Beckham is someone that I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on just because of the upside. But but the next player that we want to talk about is one of my favorite players this season, one of the guys that I'm the most intrigued about. Before we get to that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. So we are back, and we are talking Antonio Gibson, one of my favorite players for this fantasy football season. But that does not come out with a lot of risk. And I think with one of the injuries that people talk about when you hear about as a fantasy football manager, you don't get really excited about, and that is the turf toe injury. I mean, coming into OTAs, they said he was still – dealing with it even three months after the season he wasn't fully recovered and it was reported as a grade two turf toe sprain but for what it's worth on the pff fantasy football podcast about two weeks ago now with ian harditz he said that he's attacked his rehab and he should be totally good for the season that's obviously him saying that what player antonio gibson's not going to come on the podcast and be like yeah sorry guys like i'm, I'm definitely going to get hurt early into the season he's not going to say that but Stefania, I guess that's a good question to ask you with a grade two turf toe sprain. If you could explain a, explain a little bit of what that is and how severe that is with the grade two, because it's hard to differentiate those grades and what you expect with this much time and how he handled OTAs going into this season. Would you fade him at all because of his injury risk? Uh, so let's start with what the injury is. So yeah. turf toe is, is basically a, a hyperextension injury most commonly. Uh, of the of the toe kind of right at the ball of the foot so where the base of your big toe uh meets your foot that joint and the ligaments around it get overstretched when you have a hyperextension injury so either uh, and it can happen a couple of ways it can happen because the cleat sticks in the ground when somebody's coming up over the top of it uh, they can get crunched with their toe underneath them it can they can shear off that big toe kind of pivoting and, and end up hyperextending it a lot of different ways. And as far as the grading in the injury, grade one is, is mild when it comes to sprains and strains. So there may not even be any visible tissue damage. It might be microscopic in nature, just some swelling, some discomfort. Uh, grade three is a complete disruption of the of the structures and severe injury. And grade two is everything in between. So it, it, unfortunately, it doesn't give us a lot of idea about how bad it is because you can have a mild grade two that's you know you have some tissue damage but you expect it to heal on its own you can have a more severe grade two kind of pushing towards grade three where some things are still intact but there's substantial damage to the structure and the key here is really about stability you really need joint stability at your big toe because if you think about the size of your whole body 
And the last thing to leave the ground when you advance your leg is that big toe, right? Pushing off of that joint. So yeah. all that force is going through that one tiny bit of surface area at the bottom of the foot. And that's why it's so painful. You know, if guys are on it, they're overloading that joint because it's injured. Uh, and it becomes incredibly painful. So if you have enough damage, now we were talking about Michael Thomas, if there is enough damage to have instability at the joint, it was a problem. Same thing with the turf toe. And so we just don't really know how well it healed. Now, did it get to a point where he felt like he could manage it eventually? Because it was still a problem for him at OTAs. I mean, he looked good, but he acknowledged that he was still dealing with it. Um, is this going to be the kind of thing where he has to manage it during the season? Could it crop up again? Those are unknowns. Could he get through the whole season without it being an issue? Probably, but we're never going to really know. So he might feel really good right now. And in a few weeks, it's a little bit of a problem or somebody steps on it. You know, he gets cleated. Uh, his cleat sticks in the ground. You know, sometimes just the surface they're playing on. They play on turf and their cleats lock on the surface and then it becomes a problem. It's really hard to know. It definitely raises a little bit of a flag for me. But does it mean I'm staying away from him totally in my draft now? Well, I guess, and again, that's interesting. You said you wouldn't totally stay away from your draft, but you said there's obviously concern. And again, like I talked about just a little few minutes ago with Saquon, it's like the thing, okay, where his draft capital is, you don't really want that kind of concern on your team at that point. doesn't mean that you should never draft Antonio Gibson at any price because you don't think he can get there. It's not about that. But at his draft price where he's going in the middle to late second round right now of drafts, like is that someone that you're going to be at that spot around the – 16th, 17th, 18th pick and be like, okay, I'm going to take this on my team. Are you going to say because of the risk and because of the potential unknowns that I would rather take someone else in that range? Where do you, where do you stand? I know it's a tough question. Because it it is a tough question because it always really depends on what is, who is available around that and, and how your draft is flowing. I'm such a big reader of the room Mm -hmm. when I draft and kind of see, you know, um, Where's this player going and how comfortable am I? Uh, I do. I really like the player. I mean, yeah. I had Antonio Gibson last year when people thought I was crazy because yeah. they were, you know, they thought Antonio Gibson was being overhyped and I just thought he had the talent to, to pay off. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't know. It really depends on, on who was available around him. He, I think the, the upside would be the overrider for me. It just depends what who, who's flanking him as far as running backs right around there. Sure. Um, if I had Austin Eckler, for example, over I'd take Austin Eckler over him. I don't yeah, think I, would too. I think Austin Eckler would be gone first, but you know, I've seen a couple of drafts where like that's not the case. Um, uh, I would probably take him over Joe Mixon. Yep. Okay. I like that. You know, and uh, a lot of people are really are fans of Joe Mixon because they like the Cincinnati offense. They like, you know, and they're just assuming that he's going to come back and be at the, you know, at the same level. But all I remember is Joe Mixon who missed a bunch of the season. So, you know, I, I probably would be more willing to gamble on Antonio Gibson. Yeah, I, I think I would too. And I think that I know people are saying they're screaming at you right now, saying, "Well, Joe Mixon's not going to leave the field," but. I don't think there's a there's a non-zero chance that Antonio. We got to see him back on the field. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a non-zero chance that he doesn't. I know people talk about JD McKissick this and JD McKissick that, but at the end of the day, JD McKissick surpassed 
85 carries, I think, once in his professional career. He's hit over 50 targets just one time in his career so far. He's a 28-year-old running back that's played on three teams in five seasons. I think it's the same thing where he most hurt. If they haven't found him yet to be this great receiving back, and I know he had a good season last year, I don't know why they would now when all the, the running back reports at a camp are saying that Antonio Gibson, it's like night and day for him. And again, the, the news and the coach speed gets us excited, so maybe I'm wrong, but I would definitely take Gibson over Mixon at this point, um, and that is that. But the next guy that I want to talk about is another guy that – I think he plays for America's team, which is definitely not my favorite team, but definitely one of my favorite players in fantasy in Dak Prescott. I think one of the best stories in the NFL, but he's coming off a pretty severe injury with this compound fracture. I mean, all reports that I've seen out of camp and stuff, like he's healthy, he's supposed to play. But I think one of the biggest things that I wanted to ask is, obviously, like I think that he should be able to come back healthy. But I guess the two questions I have for you is, would you expect any rust in the first couple of weeks with all this time that he's had off and the injury? And two, do you think his rushing upside that he does kind of have is a little bit capped because of the injury? I know you're not a psychologist. That's a little more difficult of a question, but is there any mobility that might be impeded in the first couple of weeks of the season? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. And, and uh, the answer is we'll know when we see him. Um, that, that is the concern coming off this type of injury. You know, when you have a fracture like that, you have that kind of trauma. We know he had a second surgery to address some ligament instability. Everything you're doing is to make that ankle stable and strong. But when you do that, you take away some of the mobility of that ankle. And it's not to say that they can't get that back over time or they can't get uh, adapt to that new normal for that joint. Yep. But it takes a while. And as great as he's looked in everything that he's done, it's still there's no replicating game conditions. There just yep. isn't. And there's no replicating a uh, swarming defense it changes the way a quarterback thinks and I've had enough quarterbacks who've had serious injury to come back from them talk about exactly that thing and some are better than others at, at moving on from it so I, I don't think it's so much a fear factor for Dak but there are some subconscious uh, things that happen in terms of changing how quickly you get rid of the ball um, in terms of when you're going through your reads, you're not necessarily considering yourself as much of a running option as maybe you would before, you yeah. know, if the play breaks down. Um, there, there's a lot of those things that can happen that they have to work through. I think on the on the optimistic side, he's out there now. He's fully going. We're going to get some preseason action on the deck, even if That's it's true. not a ton. Yeah. And some of that rust can work its way out there. So. I expect big things from him. Does he pick up exactly where he left off? I'm not sure. I do think some of the rushing upside may be capped, um, at least initially. Yeah. But I, it's not to say that he can't eventually get that back. Okay. Well, with his injury, I mean, from pretty much in fantasy football right now, there seems to be the consensus top five quarterbacks with Dak, you know, Lamar, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. And obviously, I don't think anyone would take him over Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes at this moment. But what would you say to the person that says, okay, like I want to take Dak over a Kyler Murray or a Lamar Jackson? You might call them crazy just because of the rushing upside, but because of the injury, is there any concern that you'd say, okay, I'd really hesitate to take him over e either one of these guys? Uh, no, not because of the injury in yeah. isol in isolation. Okay. It would really be sort of philosophy in terms of what you expect. I don't expect him to put up numbers of rushing at either sure. of those well 
but his passing numbers, could they make up for it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I expect them to have a really, they, 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 if you look at, they, they were just, you know, whistling at the start of that season last year before he got hurt. He was putting up ridiculous numbers. So if he comes even close to that, then they're in pretty good shape. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great answer. Another guy that is going as late as he will probably ever go in his career, I hope. um, And that's Julio Jones now on the Titans. Uh, Julio Jones is one of my favorite players in the entire NFL. And right now, I mean, he's going around the lower end of a wide receiver twos right now, so to speak, around wide receiver 15 to 20, depending on the site that you look at. And I mean, last year he did suffer from a grade one hamstring strain. But and then the the other argument that people love to throw out is, okay, this guy never practices. He's always not practicing and he gets a limited practice on Friday and you question his availability. And then he lights you up for 300 yards. Um, It's just a Julio thing. But at the end of the day, one of the things that people ask is, okay, now he's 32, which is such an old age at the end of the day in fantasy football. Obviously, I am joking if you can't hear my sarcasm. But with him getting older in age and with that not practicing and with him having some of those lower body injuries, he always finds a way to play. He's missed four games in his previous six seasons. But do you have any concern where he's going in drafts right now and the injury side of it with his past like soft tissue injuries, even though they haven't held him out of games? No, I think his value, I'm, I'm a Julio apologist, so I tend to find all the positives in, in him. I think that um, the things people harp on, it's really, are they're the outliers for him. As you point out, there's all the, these years where he didn't miss, he missed hardly any games. And last year was an aberration. Hamstring injuries are a problem because they're so difficult to overcome in season, even if it's not the most severe, like Austin Eckler had a very severe hamstring injury when it happened, but you can have something that's less severe at the time, but it's nagging. It just hamstring injuries are so difficult to overcome for people who rely on speed, power, explosiveness. It just you can't you can't reach your max speed without threatening that injury and the risk of recurrence in hamstring injuries is so high. So it really compromised him last year. Uh, a lot of wide receivers peak in their 30s. That's that's normal. They, it's yeah. not like running backs where it's like the first five years and then a lot that's of them it, yeah. struggle to get a second contract. <laughs> wide receivers tend to peak in their 30s. And uh, I think that Julio Jones, not only is he a smart player, um, he's still incredibly talented. And he ended up in one of the best situations that he could have. If you remember last year, A.J. Brown had injuries that yep. – he didn't reveal till the end of the year, but there was some talk about shutting him down for the season. He started off with a bone bruise early in the year. Um, and, and there was some question as to whether he'd be able to return. Well, if you look at what happened in Tennessee, they managed his practices pretty much for the whole year. He never was practicing every single day of the week. That was just not what they did. And they found a way to make him be very effective on game day and control the amount of work he did during the week. They did the same thing with uh, Delaney Walker when he was there. They know how to manage their players who are either getting older or dealing with injuries or both. And I think that's why that is a very good setup for Julio, not to mention the offense he's in, which I think will help him because defenses are going to have to account for, you know, this guy named Derrick Henry or the receivers like A.J. Brown and uh, and Julio, and they can't pay attention to all of them. So I think for value-wise at Fantasy, I love Julio this year. Me too. Love. Me too. I think I think it's absolutely crazy because before this year, since 2014, his lowest finish was wide receiver eight 
and now he's going against wide receiver 18. There's no other competition. I mean, again, this team averaged 30 pass attempts per game last year, and then A.J. Brown only had 7.6. It's not like he's Devontae Adams getting that insane tar- like 10-plus targets every single game. So I think that all the world in Julio, I totally believe in him. He's someone I'll have a lot of in drafts this year. And I think the last thing I want to say is for the people that – I've seen people say that he was washed last year and he didn't play well and healthy. He was still on pace for – Go stand next to him. I would encourage anyone to go. That guy is one of the most physically fit. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. And then he's unbelievable in the sense that he was fourth in the NFL in yards per route run last year on pace for 1,394 yards. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. he's not washed at all. And, again, I'm going to stop because I could talk about Julio all day and I think he's going to be great this year. Me too. But sticking on the topic of wide receivers, Will Fuller. I mean, if we ever got, he could be the go down as the greatest receiver of all time to never play an entire season. Um, But again, he's had a lot of lower body issues. Then the PED thing came up last year. So I guess, again, I don't know how well you know the knowledge of PEDs and stuff like that. But do you think from what you've heard, is there anything that he could have taken that could have like stopped him from having an injury last year? And do all these lower body injuries concern you? Like he's had the ACL, he's had groin sprains, thighs die hamstring strains. I mean, he's had all kinds of lower body issues. So does any of that worry you going into this season? And do you think the PED thing could have helped him stay healthy last year? And would that affect his draft cost? I mean, the answer is, is a yes to both. Naturally, there's some concern given his history. Of course. How can, you can't overlook it because it's been a factor every single year. With always the caveat on Will Fuller is like, he's this great receiver, but you don't know how many games you get out of it. Well, it's not like he's not aware of those comments, right? He's aware. And and even coming into last year, um, if you recall, he there was this big focus on like he spent a lot of his energy in the offseason really trying to train in a way that would keep him on the field. That sure. he knew that was a problem. His whole goal was to be on the field for every single game. And he pretty much was yeah. uh, until we had this other thing come up. Um, you know, I can't say, I haven't spoken to him about this. I don't know why he chose to take the PEDs. I don't know exactly what it was that he took. You wonder if that it was factored in there because he knew about the, the injury concerns and he was, the gamble was worth it to him to put the time in on the field. I don't know. Um, but you do wonder like without it, who is he and what receiver is he? Because he's such a talent, uh, such a talent. And I, I like him in the Miami offense. Uh, I think that he's got an opportunity there to, to shine, but not, it, it's different, right? Uh, we don't know exactly how that's going to look. He's not playing with Deshaun Watson anymore. Um, but I think that can, I think their offense has a lot of potential and I think he still has the potential to be valuable. Uh, it's not enough. If you're asking if the history and, and the PED usage is enough to keep me away from him, the answer is no. It just really depends on on where you take him. I think he's definitely worth a gamble. Yeah, I 100% agree, and I'm glad to get that you know clarification and confirmation from you because the last two years he's been a top 20 wide receiver when healthy. In the games that he's played the last two years, he's been top 20. I'm not saying he's guaranteed to be top 20 right now, but in most sites he's going in the late 30s for wide receivers. And I, I get he has a one-game suspension, but, like, come on, man. Like he, he can sit for one week and then get back out there. Call it his injury week or whatever you want to call it. But, again, he's a guy that I'm going to be smashing the draft value on. Again, like we talked about with Odell Beckham, there's not many players that are going in that range right now that have that type of upside that he's shown. 
especially when he was a top 10 wide receiver last year when he was healthy. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And speaking of absolutely yeah. ridiculous, that leads us right into George Kittle. Uh, ridiculous in every sense of the word, and I mean that by purely a compliment with George Kittle, but ridiculous once again. And that is all the list of injuries that he's had the last couple of years, but he hasn't missed many games before last year. I mean, he's had a pedal foot fracture, a grade two MCL sprain, a patella sprain, a torn labrum, and then a broken foot last year. And again, he only missed a couple games before last year in his career. So do all these injuries that I just listed, a lot of different things in different areas sometimes. Does that worry you at all when you're taking George Kittle in drafts next year? I mean, you know, you have to acknowledge it. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. If I was like, oh, no, I'm not worried about his injuries. Just because I'm a huge 49ers fan, everyone knows it. But uh, I love George Kittle. I've, I've had the chance to talk with him. He's just as awesome in person as you would expect. Like, his personality is his personality. Yeah. What you see is what you get all the time. Um, and he goes 100%, 110%. He's the same guy who, after he had this cuboid fracture in his foot last year, when they tried to tell him it would be six weeks, he's like, no, I'm gonna, he told Kyle Shanahan, I'm going to be back in two. And Shanahan's like, okay, <laughs> you know, but he was not going to be back in two because you, you cannot accelerate bone healing, even if, even if you're George Kittle and you would really like to, but <laughs> I think that's just his mentality is yep. that's why he's played through so many things because he's been willing to push himself and it's not always in his best interest to do it. Um, but the talent is the talent is what the talent is. And he's such an amazing yard after catch guy, you know, and in that offense that they run in San Francisco, you really have the opportunity to be the guy with yards after the catch and not been a deep ball team, you know, for the most part. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is indeed the quarterback, then there's a really good chance that, that it looks the same, at least to start out. So um, I would still pay up for George Kittle and I would still, and part of that, I know I'm biased because I'm I'm a huge George Kittle fan, but I think that um, he, he's worth it worth it to me because I okay. think the upside for him is there. And you're right, he doesn't miss a ton of time, and I don't think this season is going to look like the last one for him. Okay, well, it is tough because I'm asking as a 49ers fan, so I don't want people to think that you're just biased when I ask you this. But between but between Darren Waller and George Kittle right now, who would you be taking in a draft? If it was just purely them, regardless of the spot, it's George Kittle or it's Darren Waller. Who are you taking right now? Well, I'm probably taking George Kittle because I also like the look. The way I play fantasy is I have somebody I really yeah, want to roof, and sure. uh, and and not that I'm not pulling for Darren. I think Darren Waller is talented. I think he is. You know, you sort of have your top your tight ends. You know, Kelsey is sort of in his own little uh, category just because he's been so incredibly durable and. He and Mahomes clearly have this connection. He is he, his target share is going to be huge no matter what. But um, yeah, George Kittle still remains um, him and him and Darren Waller. Uh, obviously, Darren Waller's got the size that you yeah. like. You know, he's really got that big body size. But uh, I'll take Kittle and Shanahan's offense. I like it. I like it. And people forget he was still on pace for over 1,300 yards in the games he played last year. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous what he does every single year. I think that the one thing that does worry me, I say worry me when he is a clear-cut top three tight end. Um, it's just I feel like he has more competition for targets than he's ever had before with someone like Brandon Ayuk, who I think is an emerging superstar um, compared to some of his first years. But again, he's still a top three tight end. I would personally take Darren Waller, but like if someone says, oh, I took George Kittle as, my, as the second tight end off the board, I mean, good. He's, he's still great. But the last guy I want to talk about 
is someone that has one of the more mysterious injuries that I think we've talked about. And that's Joe Mixon. I mean, he had a mid foot sprain last year. And again, I know there's a lot of speculation out there that says, okay, they held him out at the end of the season because they had nothing to play for. And I think those are fair arguments, but with something like a mid foot sprain, is that something that really could have affected him over the whole season? Is that anything that could possibly play an effect to this season at all? Um, but again, before the two seasons prior, he played 31 out of 30, possible 32 games in, in the previous two seasons, midfoot sprain last year. Do you have any injury concerns about him this year, at least a little bit? Um, a little bit, but I think it really comes down to has how how is that foot we just never saw. And and even if I, I don't think they were so much holding him out for, you know, they had nothing to play for. I mean, yeah, like. Um, it's just hard to go into wild speculation. Mm-hmm. Like what if they'd been in a playoff with you come back? I, I don't know. Yeah. I think the problem was that we kept hearing and it was sort of the way That's we true. heard about him relative to what he was actually able to do. We kept hearing like he was at first it was day to day. They weren't even saying week to week. They were saying day to day. It was clearly week to week. Uh, midfoot injuries can be very subtle. That is the problem. Uh, it's not like either it's obvious that someone needs surgery or they don't. Um, there, most of the injuries really fall into this nuanced area where on imaging, you don't even see much. You might not even see anything that really tells you there's significant disruption of the ligaments in the midfoot, or this guy's going to have a problem because it's unstable. Um, they have different tests they can do where they stress the foot. Um, and sometimes that put the player under anesthesia to actually see what happens when they, when they're stressing it. Um, that it, it's really hard to, to, because we're not there. So we don't know exactly what those conversations were. And I don't like to, you know, cast aspersions from a distance when you don't fully know, but you do know what the communication is. And the communication sure. from the team was, you know, uh, he, he, he's doing well and it looks like, you know, he'll be back or he'll be back in practice soon. And, and we even saw to where he was doing some rehab work, on the side, we get those reports that he was doing rehab work on the side, but he wasn't back in practice. So that's a progression. Like you're not in the, hidden in the training room anymore. Now you're coming out to the field and you're doing some things and you're doing some running and maybe then you're going to be back in practice. But lo and behold, he could never make it back. So after a few weeks of that, it became pretty clear there was more to the story. Then we heard that he went and got a, a, another opinion. And then at, once all that happened, I thought, we're not going to see him again this season. Yep. Team did not say that at first. Yep. And again, that led to more of the speculation and, and <laughs> the problem. But ultimately, we didn't see him again. Yeah, I think all of that is good for him because finally shutting him down and him having all this downtime means it's more likely that he is just fine to start the season. For sure. That being said, again, these injuries are really subtle. And until you're stressing that foot the same way, you would with football, football activities. Now you get into heavy practices, into games. We don't really, really know. Yeah. So I think for me, that's where the big question marks are. Um, or it's easy, you know, if you have a sheer injury again, you know, again, there's a lot of issues with like shoes locking on the surface, you know, shoes sticks, player turns or pivots on it. And that torsional injury stresses the middle of the foot. And is it more likely for him to have an injury from that, given that he had this before? 
I think that's probably the case. And so that, that's the thing that makes me a little bit nervous. Not that he won't be out there doing whatever he needs to do to start, but that he may be at some level of increased risk. And, and so for me, uh, I'm probably way more cautious than most people would be. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I think like the one bright spot I think that you mentioned that I'd like to, I mean, kind of gloss over, not gloss over, but mention is the fact that like we talked about a couple times in the episode already is the fact that with Michael Thomas or Saquon Barkley, these are guys that they really like. They just gave Joe Mixon a big contract. And I think maybe we saw a little bit last year of what we're worried about with Saquon and Michael Thomas, that they might miss a little bit more time because at the end of the day, they're franchise players for those guys and you'd rather be safe with those guys. So I guess I'm, I'm glad in the sense that it seems like they've been safe with Joe Mixon, that he should be fully healthy going into this year. But like you said, especially if he's not going to leave the field in 2021, that's going to be a lot of touches where something bad could go wrong. But you can always say that for players, but like you said, he might have more of a risk than some other players going into the season. And I think that is absolutely worth noting and, and keeping in mind when it comes to draft day. But that is our final – actually, that's not our final question. That is our final injury outlook. But we are going to take one more quick break before we get into our final question of the day, my favorite question. Well, Stefania – as I said, my favorite question of the day, the question I ask everybody on the podcast, and you will be grilled and torn to pieces if you are wrong at the end of the day. Obviously, I am oh, kidding. Yeah. But oh, I'm used to that, so it's fine. <laughs> Especially at ESPN, I'm sure you're very used to that. But what is your 2021 flag plant, your boldest prediction that you fully believe in, the guy that you are going to plant your flag and say, I am all in on this player in 2021? Who is it? So I don't think... Uh, some people, I'll get capped on both ends here because okay. some people will say this is not bold. Uh, but uh, my my prediction is that Kyle Pitts will finish as a top five tight end this year. Okay. And, and I, I say some people will say that's not bold because there's been all this love for Kyle Pitts and, and this idea that he's going to you know be a star in the Atlanta offense. Um, but yet, it, there's been so much backlash against the people drafting Kyle Pitts early and, so and saying that people are putting too much hype that he's been overhyped and and people mocking the overinvestment in Kyle Pitts that I I think it ends up being bold in that regard because now there's all this pushback against people you know like me who are willing to take him fairly early because they think he's going to pay off I think you know without Julio Jones there with that offense being, uh, you know, you've got Calvin Ridley, and I think your your number two pass catcher is going to end up being Kyle Pitts. And uh, I know everybody's like, well, the rookie tight ends, and they don't pan out that I'm just, this is my flag, and hey, I'm planting it. That's what it's all about. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what the take is. As long as it's your flag and you're willing to stand by it, that's all that matters at the end of the day. And I'm really glad. I like that. That's a good flag point. The last, well, I have to dig a little bit deeper. For the people that are saying Stefania, that wasn't bold enough. I think that's bold enough for me. But would you take him as your tight end four over your TJ Hawkinson's Mark Andrews? That's the question right now. You said top five, but where where would you be taking him in drafts as your ranked, or where do you have him ranked right now? Yeah, I I have him at five. Okay. Um, I I I think you know I think it goes Andrews then him. Okay. And uh, I like TJ Hawkinson as a talent. I do not like the Detroit offense. So. Sue me. <laughs> um, I, I like Noah Fant as a yeah. talent. I'm not convinced about the Denver offense right yeah. now. Um, so I think there are some really talented tight ends with upside in offenses where you hope that the passing game is going to favor them. But I think when it comes to opportunity and we're not wondering, like, 
Matt Ryan's a good quarterback. I know pe- people are sort of done with Matt Ryan, which I don't think is totally fair. Um, Matt Ryan can get Kyle Pitts the ball, and that is going to happen in this offense. He is going to be a feature target, and it'd be interesting. You know, it's not like I mean, you've got um, Hayden Hurst there as well, who I think actually still has some value. Uh, on the lower tier as, as a patch pass catching tight end, like there are going to be, there's going to be a lot of potential there um, for the tight ends in that offense. But I think Kyle Pitts is going to be a superstar. I love it. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. One of the best prospects that we've seen. <laughs> I hope in I'm my, right. <laughs> hey, but no matter what, one of the best prospects that we have seen in my lifetime, at least. Um, and I'm super excited about him this year for fantasy, but that is it. That is everything for the show today. Stefania, thank you so much for coming on. Do you have any closing thoughts or, Anything that you want to plug or talk about? Maybe a certain special magazine of yours? Oh, yeah. Well, I did say at the top of the show that we have a fantasy football magazine out again this year. ESPN does. And so it's hit the newsstand. I mean, for people who still like to pick up magazines and turn pages, we have a physical magazine out this year. I count me amongst them. Um, our Fantasy Focus podcast resumes its daily schedule starting on monday which i can't really believe but here we are monday august 2nd we start wow. fantasy focus podcast uh in studio daily wow. going forward so that's very exciting um and you know when we we have the fantasy football marathon that we we do at espn is coming up august 17th and 18th so there will be a lot more fantasy content around those two days on all of the various ESPN platforms. So as it gets closer, people can check it out. I love it. I love it. That is a fantastic plug and you're a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I really appreciate you. And to anyone listening to the fresh fantasy podcast today, I really appreciate you for listening. And the best way that you can help support me and show your appreciation or not show your appreciation is by leaving a review. It is the best way to let me know whether you enjoy the podcast, whether you don't enjoy the podcast, because good or bad, Feedback is the only way that you're going to get better. And that is the only way to improve, whether it's good feedback, bad feedback. You always want to know it all. I want to hear it all because, again, we're trying to make this podcast the best that can possibly be, just like Stefania here. But, again, thank you so much for listening today. Please leave a review. You guys already know what to do, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.